Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. We've got a slightly longer programme than usual today. I'm, I'm having an in-depth conversation with the man sitting opposite me. He is James Turk. James is the founder of Gold Money and he wrote back in 2004, 2005 with John Rubino. Uh, one of the first books I read about gold and hard money investing and it was also, I still regard it as one of, if not the best book I've ever read on the subject and that was The Coming Collapse of the Dollar. So I'm extremely excited to be talking to him today, and that's why I'm having a slightly longer than usual programme, um, to be talking about his latest book, also written with John Rubino, which is called The Money Bubble. And um, we're going to discuss some of the issues raised in said book. So James, welcome to the show. And why don't we start with, a, with an overview of what The Money Bubble is about. Thanks, Dominic. It's always uh, great to speak with you, and I very much appreciate your kind words about uh, the coming collapse of the dollar. You know, when John Rubino and I wrote it, there were two basic investment ideas that, uh, that we spoke about and analyzed in, in the coming collapse of the dollar. One was that you should be buying gold, and secondly, you should be betting against the housing bubble that was being formed. This, again, the book came out in 2004. And they turned out to be two of the best investment ideas, but the third part of that book, which the title basically encapsulates, is that the dollar did not collapse. Oh, can I just interrupt you? You also said, and I remember reading it very clearly, short financial stocks. Yeah, that's true. Which would have, was a painful trade at first, but then an amazing trade. Yeah, it worked out very well. I, it didn't mention that because, you know, that's not for everybody, shorting stocks, okay. but, you know, it was in the book for, you know, people basically to understand that even if you didn't short it, you should be exiting the bank stocks, exiting Fannie Mae, uh, uh, Freddie Mac, and those types of things, because they were all vulnerable to the housing bubble. Um, the third part, though, was the collapse of the, the dollar, which is, you know, what was the title of the book, and we thought that when 2008 came along, that was going to be the result, but what happened was that with unprecedented money printing by the central bank, um, control of markets through various forms of intervention, they've postponed the ultimate collapse of fiat currency, and with gold falling earlier this year, after 12 up years, uh, John and I had been talking and we thought, well, you know, let's basically do another book because the basic theme of the coming collapse of the dollar still prevails. Ultimately, there's going to be a collapse of, of uh, a fiat currency globally. Um, and what we do in, in the money bubble is basically go back to basics again, explaining where the problems are, why the problems have not been solved and have just been papered over uh, by central banks and government intervention and that there's a bigger bubble coming. And this bubble is not just one in a discrete asset class, you know, like housing or dot-com stocks or something like that. This is a bubble that deals with the monetary system itself globally. It's a money bubble. Okay, now, this is, this is, this is something I kind of go to bed asking myself every night. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think our monetary system is not sound. I think it's flawed. I think it creates uh, injustice. It creates malpractice. It creates malinvestment. But 
you know what our great planners did in the uh, aftermath of 2008 it might not have been right but it up to now it's worked and we have to accept the fact that you know they've saved the system and you know there's a lot of gold bugs who who want the system to change partly because they own a lot of gold and they think they'll benefit by that and also partly because you know, some of them think you know the world will be a better place for it but you know does does the money bubble have to burst can it not go on indefinitely i mean there's been a money bubble since 1971 so that's that's a generation and a half yeah uh, well you say it worked um, i would argue and say that it, all they've done is kick the can down the road there's a difference between kicking can the can down the road and having something work. You know, they've managed to maintain the existing system, but the existing system itself has several fragilities to it, several key points that basically mean it's not going to be sustainable. If you go back and look throughout history, um, there have been recurring periods when money gets destroyed, and the reason why it gets destroyed is there's basically too much debt in the system. Uh, the level of debt has to be serviced, and it's got to be repaid either by re repaying the loan or by writing it off because it's no longer But at the moment, the debt is being serviced. And in fact, in some cases, the debt it's, has actually been monetized. It's and, yeah, it's only being serviced because interest rates are at abnormal yeah, levels. Of and because interest rates are at abnormal levels, we're actually destroying capital rather than uh, building capital. It's a misallocation itself. I mean, we compare the... But that doesn't mean it can't go on. That's true. You know, timing is always problematic. Um, it can go on um, longer than we suspect, although I tend to think that, you know, we're getting pretty close to the end because interest rates are starting to rise again, not just in the United States, but globally. Uh, and I've been watching very carefully, for example, the yield on the 10-year T-note, uh, Treasury note. Uh, you know, it started this year at under 2%. Uh, over the last six months, it went from 1.6% to uh, 3%, which is where it is basically at the moment, and it's threatening to go over 3%. As this interest rate rises, it's going to add an additional burden you know, to everybody who is a, a debtor, particularly the governments. And just consider, the U.S. government's debt is now $17 trillion. If interest rates go up only 1%, that's $170 billion of additional interest that government's going to have to pay on its debt. Uh, and that's approximately... Uh, uh, you know, 5% of government revenue. So if it goes back to a more normal level, like 8% or 6%, you're talking about adding another trillion dollars of expenses to the government deficits that are already being accumulated. That's why it cannot be sustained. It's well, the compounding power of interest eventually catch, catches up with you. Well, I appreciate what you're saying about the compounding part, but if you have rising... One of the things that um, this... Let's call it a bubble that's been created over the last two or three years one of the consequences has been rising asset prices. So, you know, people's homes are worth a lot more, their stock portfolio is worth a lot well, more. Well, so, hang on a moment. Is a home really worth more? Uh, you know, you can only get so much utility out of a three-bedroom home. You know, it sleeps, you know, X number of well, people. What you're yeah, looking they, at they, is they, you're looking at a currency that's depreciating and people are exiting the currency because they'd rather own but they're tangible not things. They're not exiting the currency, though. They're taking on more debt. But what I'm saying is, is as, as the value of their assets rises, then, then everyone has more money. I'm not saying I agree with this, but that's what the dynamic is happening. People's assets are rising in value, so they have more money. So the size of the debt is not such a 
problem in relative terms. Well, let's look at why asset prices are rising and what asset prices are rising. Um, homes in London are clearly going up. If you go into the art or collectibles market, you know, prices are you know, through the roof. What's happening is people who understand, the rich people of the world, who understand that fiat currency is, prob is a problem, they'd rather own a tangible asset. Recently, an Andy Warhol painting went for $100 million. There aren't going to be any more Andy Warhol paintings uh, being printed because he's no longer with us. Uh, so people understand that this is a one-off. But you, know, you have central banks with printing presses that are constantly debasing the value of the currency. So the rich have already started to exit the currency. We're at the beginning stages of what I think ultimately will be the collapse of, 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 of the dollar or the popping of the money bubble. When, uh, as but, well, pe people were saying this Austrian kind of school. stuff. People were saying this kind of stuff in the seventies. Well, maybe I wasn't, but uh, well, I know. But there were people who were saying it, and and, and it hasn't happened. It, 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 just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it doesn't. It's not going to happen. Well, it means it's, it, but it doesn't mean. But just because it hasn't happened also doesn't mean it is going to happen. Well, when you're heading toward a cliff, and you're speeding. But is uh, there a cliff there? There is a cliff because all you have to do is look at monetary history and know that there are these recurring patterns. When debts become too great, they can no longer be sustained, and the currency collapses as a consequence. You can go back to Rome, you can go back to France, you can go back but to I mean, Spain. But Rome debased its country, its currency, and got away with it for hundreds of years. I know the currency got weaker and weaker, and there was a, a transference of wealth, and that, that little kind of people, you know, that you had a massive Cantillon effect, and, and you know, the, the transference of wealth that went on benefited certain people. But, you know, Rome, and if, you, if, if, if the UK is Rome and America is Byzantium, you know, you can draw that parallel. You know, between the two of them, the empire went on for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. It wasn't like it was one or two generations. It went on and went on, and they debased it, and they debased it, and they debased it, but it, it still carried on. Yeah, well, you know, fiat currency's been going on for And it became, society became more and more corrupt. I'm not saying it was yeah. a better place for it, but I'm yeah. saying you can prolong these things indefinitely. But this isn't something that just started last week or, you know, a few months ago. It started in 1913 when the yeah. American Central Bank was created. So we're already talking about 100 years yeah. of debasement of the currency. The dollar today only purchases 2% of what a 1913 dollar purchased, or probably even less than but why that. Can, why can a dollar in 100 years not purchase 2% of what it does today? And you just get this gradual annual, you know, lose a couple of percent each year, yep. two or three percent in flow. I mean, why, what I'm saying is, is it can just go on. It doesn't it have to end. It, it has to end. It can go on. Timing is problematic, problematic, but it has to end because there's just too much debt in the world. Let me put, let's bring it down to well, a more practical said, level. Said, what, you say that too much. Yeah. T too much according to who? Too much according to math. Because debt has to be serviced by paying but they, interest. But at the moment, it can be serviced. And you, Only because interest to, rates are at zero. But why could, yeah, but they set the rate of interest. But they you're could just carry on monetizing their debt. And they yeah. could just carry on doing that. But you're, for a period of time, but you're destroying capital. What, you know, I, get that. I agree that. I agree. I'm not saying it's, it's right. Yeah. But I just—I don't see why it has to end. Uh, it will end uh, just because of the math of it. Uh, it will yeah. end because historical experience shows that it always ends. It will go on longer. Nobody can predict when the end can uh, arises. Uh, it can go on longer than we suspect. Um, and you know, it might still go on another five or ten years. But it might go on only another five or ten months, and that's the issue. The issue is, are you prepared for when currencies collapse, just like they've collapsed many, many times throughout history? And that's really the point of the book. It's to analyze the situation that we have today and to give people the tools and the information they need in order to prepare 
just in case the currency collapses you know, in four or five months rather than in four or five years or 40 or 50 years. You want to be prepared for the inevitable. Okay, how do you, one of the big themes of your book is, and one of the big kind of rocks on which your argument is built, is that gold is money. Correct. Now, okay, I put it to you that gold has been money. Uh, if, if nature were to choose which, what is money, nature would say gold because it doesn't tarnish and it keeps its purchasing power and it doesn't get, um, uh, doesn't get consumed all the, you know, and, and it grows, gold supply grows at the same rate as population and all the rest of it. But, you know, it is not a tangible means, it is not a means of exchange, an accepted means of exchange, except in extreme cases, pretty much anywhere in the world. So what, why is gold? Why is gold money? Yeah, now? I mean, isn't it? You know, in the same way that we no longer read books, we have a Kindle. You know, is gold just not an? You know, yeah. I know the, the the quote was barbarous relic about the gold standard, but is, is gold not itself a barbarous, irrelevant, albeit beautiful relic? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, back in 1912, in testimony before Congress, J.P. Morgan, who was the leading financier of the day, said, "Money is gold, nothing else." And 100 years later, in 19, uh, 2012, uh, in an annual report, Warren Buffett said, gold has no utility. Well, what's changed over that 100 years? Uh, my view is that nothing has changed. Maybe gold doesn't circulate as currency anymore, but it's still money in the sense that it performs economic calculation. You know, money can be spent or it can be saved. Uh, and what people do is they follow Gresham's law. The bad money is being used as currency, and the good money is being hoarded. It's only logical. And the reason why gold is money, again, is useful for economic calculation. You have to look at a value of something comes from its utility. Uh, you know, a house comes from the amount of shelter it provides. Um, bread comes from the amount of energy it provides. Gold comes from the ability, um, its value, its utility comes from its ability to serve in economic calculation. You know, all of the goods and services we humans produce get consumed and disappear. Even base metals get consumed and disappear. But gold gets accumulated. All of the gold mined throughout history exists in above-ground stocks in a variety of different forms. Why does it exist? Because people understand it has this utility, and its utility is that it preserves purchasing power over long periods of time and can serve um, at, for means of economic calculation, measuring prices. doesn't that just prices. make it an asset? I'm sorry? Doesn't that just make it an asset? It is an asset, but it's a unique asset in the sense that it can't be consumed, it doesn't disappear, it can't be destroyed. It's an asset that we humans need in a capital society to serve as money. It's the most liquid, tangible asset in the economy. And the most liquid, tangible asset is money because it facilitates the exchange that you were talking about. Now, what we've been doing for the last 40 years, or actually even longer than that, going back to the creation of the Bank of England in 1694, we tend to use a money substitute as currency rather than money itself. You know, prior to 1694, gold and silver actually circulated as currency. And they, they eventually moved out of circulation because of government edict. But that doesn't change the utility underlying gold and silver themselves. They are a tangible asset. And it gets back to a very important point as to, you know, how we humans really advance in terms of economic progress. Let's assume you're a shopkeeper, or let's say you run this little cafe here, and I come and want to uh, get a piece, of, uh, a cup of coffee from you. If I say to you, I'm gonna, I'd like this cup of coffee, but I'm going to pay for it next week, you're accepting credit. 
um, and you have a risk. You have payment risk. You know whether or not I'm going to fulfill that promise or not. If I actually pay for it with a fiat currency, you still have a promise. It's not my promise. It's now the government's promise. But if I actually pay for it with this gold or silver coin, there is no lingering promise because a tangible asset. The, the, the precious metal has been exchanged for a, a tangible asset, the cup of coffee that, that, I'm, uh, that I'm serving. And the way humans progress is that goods and services pay for goods and services. Credit doesn't pay for goods or services. And what we've reached now is the exchange where there's such a huge extension of credit that people accept on blind faith without realizing that this credit is never going to be able to convert back into real wealth, real goods and services, except that it's actually starting to happen. The rich people around the world are understanding that currency, fiat currencies no longer make sense, so they're going out and buying classic cars, they're going out and buying London real estate, they're going out and buying works of art. They're already exiting, there's already a flight from national currencies, and this flight is going to pick up. Okay, um, if anyone's listening, uh, you know, not in central London, that, that is how bad things have become in central London, that we're now exchanging gold for, for cups of coffee, that is... How, it, how mammoth the inflation is. Um, but th that is what our great planners wanted. They did not want people hoarding cash because people hoarding and not spending, the whole, the whole way the Western economy works, relies on spending. So, the, you know, the government likes the fact that, you know, XYZ, who's, earned 100, who's worth 100 million, has gone to spend 100 million on an Andy Warhol painting because that's 100 million that's you know, now divided up amongst the, the auction house and the agent and then this and that. It's all going to, you know, circulate in the economy and we get a little bit of trickle-down effect. Um, in theory. In, and, in, but absolutely this, but, in theory. But, missing, but I mean, so is everything you said in, in theory. But you're missing but, the key point. But the the, no, but, well, I don't think I am because everything you said, I, I totally agree. I don't disagree with a single word of it. But the new reality is, is that, you know, these weird bits of government promise I mean a, a, a government note says I promise to pay the bearer 20 pounds so it's not even 20 pounds it's, it's a promise it's a it's not even nothing it's a promise of nothing it's 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 kind of one stage but nevertheless that is the reality of, of the world in which we live is that the reality or is that the illusion well, in which well, we well it doesn't and, make and any difference it does make a difference because if, if it's an illusion that's what creates the money bubble because gold's utility has not changed but I'm, what I'm saying to you is that the illusion can go on and it can go on in past my lifetime and past my kids lifetime you know it, that that is the illusion can go on for a long time and nobody can predict when it's yeah. going to end I mean but if my I look point at, is if I, I mean at the moment let, let's come back to gold then yeah. gold's trading at 1220 or whatever it is or 1240 1250 1250 okay but it is in you know if you draw, draw two tram lines on the chart it is in a clear downtrend it's trading below most of its long-term moving averages and they're all curving down now you know it's possible that 1180 was the low and it makes it it's made a double bottom at 1180 but it could also just as easily if you're a trend follower you look at that chart and go that's going back to 1050 or even 700 well, you know, we are in a clear downtrend. Only when you look over the last two years. If you look yeah, over the last but, two mean, decades, but or you, you do, go back to the 1960s. Yeah, I know, but people don't, don't think in those kind of terms. That's what creates the money bubble. People are losing sight of what money really is. And this is the point that John and I are making in the book, that there's a, a money bubble out there. We've lost sight, and we have to prepare for the collapse of the money bubble. It didn't come in 2008, but it's going to come eventually. Okay, and, but then it might not. And then you go and buy a load of gold and you buy something that's worth 30% less in two years. Well, yeah, but that's my point, that only if they can keep interest rates at zero. 
and they're, right now they're well, losing the ability to keep interest rates at zero, which is why interest rates they, are rising. You know, they've crept up a bit, but they could just as easily fall here as they could. I mean, so everyone's expecting, you know, the dem ultimate demise of the bond market. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, it, you, 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 there's so much unanimity that the bonds have now entered a long-term bear market. Maybe not a long-term bear market, but the interest rates are going to rise. That I almost think, well, they can, the interest rates are going to fall here and surprise everyone. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think interest rates are going to rise here and, and probably surprise everyone because everybody thinks that the Fed, by buying government paper, is going to keep interest rates low. But all the government is doing, or all the Fed is doing, is taking that government paper and turning it into currency, and that's actually you know, leading to what I believe is going to be hyperinflation, and that's ultimately going to be the reason that the U.S. dollar collapses. But I mean, it's so psychological, hyperinflation. Well, I mean, I just... Yeah, you're, you're actually raising a very good point, because you know, we talk about the supply of money, you know, M1, yeah. M2, M3, but we give very little uh, attention to the demand for money. You know, money has a supply and demand, just like any other good or service yeah. has a supply and demand. And it's the demand for money that we should be focusing on. Now, here's the key point, because governments understand that. And so they propagandize to keep you holding fiat currency, because they realize that if the demand for fiat currency declines, the value of that currency is going to decline, and their power base declines with it. It's only the ability to create money out of thin air that keeps governments really in power and to do all of these things that they're promising to do, but never are ever going to be able to fulfill, because the promises now are so huge relative to the amount of wealth in the world. I mean, the U.S. government itself, it's estimated, has 200 trillion of promises out there. I know, but they can just, they'll find a way of obfuscating and fudging. The only way they're going to do that is if they destroy the market and totally uh, um, go, you know, the Soviet Union, uh, give in, uh, take away from individuals the right of free choice and to live their lives as they want to. It's just going to mean more and more control. And in fact, we're seeing this with various capital controls being imposed. Yeah. Governments are in taking steps to take freedom away from the individual to enhance and perpetuate their power in order to keep this funny money continuing but to it's circulate. The, it's, it's not the most sensible course of action to take as an investor to just, I mean, you can't fight the power of government. You might, whether you like it or not, you can't fight it. And so you may as well, you know, invest according to what their policies are. The, well, the, that's one way to look at it, but the people who followed that strategy in 2008 got really hurt. But the, the people who followed it in the last two years have done very well. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's going to do very well over the next two years. What you have to do is to take those steps that you as an individual feel comfortable with so that you can sleep well at night. That's what it's all about. You know, we live in a world that's unpredictable. It's yeah. an uncertain future. We don't know how it's going to unfold. But we want to live in a world knowing that you or ourselves and our family are protected come what may. And that's one of the key things that we're trying to provide okay, in, so in the money bubble, you know, providing information to people so that they can think about it. So, okay, so we get a currency collapse. Let, we're, yeah. we're in London, so let's say the pound collapses. So what, what, what happens? Well, again, you can't predict it, but John and I believe that um, it will be an optimistic scenario. You know, there's going to be some tough times between here uh, the present until we finally go back into a sound money system. But, you know, ultimately we believe that, you know, people are going to understand that gold and silver are necessary to maintain the capital system that which we operate in, where people can voluntarily interact with one another and do it in a way that it's a level playing field. What's happened is the government has tilted the playing field in favor of its vested interests, in favor of the politicians, and in favor of the promises that whoever 
they yeah. want to grant those promises to. I think we have to come back to you know a period in which rule of law is consistently and evenly applied across the board, and that means you're having a sound money. There's a quote in the book from von Mises saying that uh, sound money ranks should rank in the same level as constitutions and bills of rights, because you can't have individual freedom without sound money. And the reason is that money doesn't come from government. It comes from you and me and the marketplace. Everybody determines what's ultimately going to be money. Uh, and you know, for 5,000 years, gold and silver have been money. Only recently have we lost sight of that fact, creating the money bubble. But when this all comes to a sad conclusion, governments will recognize, I hope, and you know, John and I hope, that, that they have to go back to a sound monetary basis, meaning gold and silver are going to be the underpinnings of whatever monetary system we have in the future. Um, I, and I should mention, by yeah. the way, uh, we talk a lot about Bitcoin uh, yeah, in the book. You do. And you know, Bitcoin is a very interesting thing because it does provide that competitive position that yeah. is necessary to have a sound money system coming back into the system. In my ideal scenario is you have a gold-Bitcoin combination. Bitcoin is the currency and gold is the money. Yeah. Um, I think that's ultimately the way global commerce is going to move, and hopefully individual countries will also understand that and return to that kind of basis. Well, I hope so, but that doesn't mean it'll happen. That's my <laughs> way. Now, well, let's, you, let, me, just, let, me, just, okay. let me just make the optimistic on this. You know, if you go back and look at human progress, we always advance. We just don't do it in a straight line. You know, we, we go forward and we start bending to one side and we hit a wall. We come back, we cross the straight yeah. line and go hit the other side of the wall. So, you know, we're learning from our experiences and uh, we ultimately are moving forward. And I think that, you know, we're going to move forward again with all the technology and things that are coming, forward, uh, coming to, to, to available because it's ultimately technology that helps raise human standards of living. But um, it's just not going to be an easy process. And just like there have been other bubbles in the past, the South Sea bubble, the Tulip Bulb Mania, the yeah. Mississippi bubble, the dot-com bubble, the real estate bubble, there's another bubble. It's the money bubble. And when this money bubble finally pops, we're going to go back to basics. We're going to understand that sound money is essential for a sound economy and you know, for human freedom to advance. All right. Now, we've recorded this interview. I don't even know what the date is. Maybe the 13th or the 14th of January. We'll talk in two years... I'm going to come back to something else I want to discuss. We'll talk in two years and we'll see if the, if the money bubble has popped or not. Okay, we would love to do it. Okay, now um, another kind of bedrock of your arguments is in the book and one of the fundamental reasons why you think uh, the money bubble is going to unravel is that the gold and silver, you argue that the gold and silver prices are manipulated and that they're both suppressed. Correct. And. I mean, there's bound to be some kind of manipulation, but I, I suggest to you that they're not... Well, why don't you outline the extent to which you think they're suppressed? Okay. Well, let's go back in history first to answer yeah. this question. You know, under the classical gold standard, central banks had the responsibility to maintain the purchasing power of their currency so that it always equaled the purchasing power of gold. Um, you know, I like to use the example that... Uh, over long periods of time, gold maintains its purchasing power. Today, you can buy a man's suit with yeah. an ounce of gold. A Roman senator could buy his toga with an ounce of gold. So, what, under the classical gold standard, central but banks you can't had this, buy with gold what you could buy two years ago. Well, that may be true, but you know, crude oil is down from where it was at its peak, and yeah. other real goods are down from their peak, with the exception of London real estate and some other well, odds and ends. If you, if you, if you're in the the the, the, the gold real estate switch, oh, yeah. Yeah. you've lost, you've watched. 
you know, real estate appreciated by maybe 50% in yeah. the last two or but three again, years, and gold fall by 40 So, you know, you've lost both ways. But again, you know, when it comes to portfolio management, it's a marathon. It's not a 100-meter yeah. sprint. You have to look at the long-term swing of things. And over long periods of time, gold does preserve its purchasing power, which okay. is one of the reasons why it's, it, it's a utility and makes it very useful as money. But, you know, going back to the classical gold standard, central banks have the responsibility to maintain the purchasing power of their currency. The money substitute yeah. always had the same purchasing power of an ounce of gold. Well, starting in the late 19th century and the early 20th century, central banks and governments realized that these rules that Sir Isaac Newton created when he invented the classical gold standard no longer applied. They could be, they could be uh, um, broken, you know, by governments and central yeah. banks. And they realized that if they could start creating money out of thin air, uh, that would give governments a lot more power because power ultimately comes from money. Uh, and they were constrained as to how much money they could get under the classical gold standard because the above ground amount of uh, the above ground stock of gold grew by about one and three quarters percent per annum year after year after year, um, and which is again another reason why gold maintains its purchasing power over long periods of time. So starting a hundred years ago things started to change. Instead of central banks managing the purchasing power of their currency to maintain the same purchasing power of an ounce of gold, they started managing the purchasing power of gold in order to make their currencies look better in terms of its diminishing purchasing power. Um, and throughout the 20th century, this process has been in, 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 in force. It started with the, um, during the First World War when they abandoned the gold standard. Winston Churchill here in the UK wanted to do the right thing and go back to the pre-war standard, but so much paper had been created, it just wasn't practical, and consequently, you had um, the devaluations in the 1930s. Um, in the 1960s, you had a similar circumstance arise, but Nixon, rather than devalue the dollar like Roosevelt had, did, had done, went a further step down this road by basically breaking the formal link between the dollar uh, and, and gold. And then you've had various forms of intervention in the gold market, all with the same purpose, to try to maintain um, the illusion that the dollar or the pound or the euro is not losing purchasing power relative to an ounce of gold. And they've gone about it in different ways. But today the key is that because of... See, every, I'm just going to interrupt you there, because every, that kind of course of history that you've just described, and remind me, we'll talk about the 100-year cycle in money, by the way, in a moment. Yeah. But, but the, every one of those decisions, I think, were, you know, politicians choose the line of least resistance. I don't, I don't think there is a, a, a deliberate conspiracy to suppress the price of gold. I just think at, at a particular moment, you know, because they've got to weigh up their own career risk, uh, the, the, all the various pressures that are on them and all the vested interests that are leaning on them at, e at any given moment, they just should make the easiest decision. Now, it was easier, for example, in Nixon, for Nixon in 1971 to just abandon the gold standard than it was to deal with all the consequences of maintaining sound money. So I don't think it was, a, it was, a, it was just an easier decision for him to have to make. Well, possibly, but uh, you know, he already had the precedent of doing what Roosevelt did. You know, Roosevelt devalued the dollar yeah, from 20 to 35. But again, that was 35. an easier decision. I don't think it was an attack on gold so much as just an, e an easy way of expropriate of, of recapitalizing the government coffers and 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 dealing with the immediate problem, well, which I, is huge unemployment. Yeah, I wouldn't use the word easy. I would use the word self-serving. Okay. You know, people act in their whatever, own interests, you know, yeah. uh, and politicians act in their own interests, yeah. and politicians seek power. So by minimizing the role of gold, they enhance their power. So maybe. 
you know, that, that's the other side of the argument, and that's the but, logic. But I'm not for saying the, that. But you're, you're suggesting there's this deliberate tactic to undermine. I just think it's just a, a, a thing that's a, a, it's happened out of convenience, and gold's always the victim. Yeah, no, it's not out of convenience. I think it's deliberate. And if you go back and look, but at, that imbues the. Particularly if you look at, I mean, I just don't think governments now give two hoots about gold. They did when it was rising, and everyone there was a lot of noise about gold. And but I don't, you know, and I know even wasn't it Volker who said it, you know, who moaned about the gold price at one stage back in the seventies, yeah. saying he should intervene. But Anki said he used to look at it every, he had it, he would have the gold price on his screen. But that's only because the gold bugs made so much noise in his ear, you know. That they, but but you know, it's just it imbues the perpetrators with too much competence if they are to suppress the gold price in the way that they say they do. I, I bet most of it is explained there's some kind of um, Occam's razor going on. Yeah. Now, if you go back and look at the documentation that's been made available by GATA, for example, going back to the 1960s, you know, there are actual memos explaining. I, in fact, one of the ones that I, one of the articles I wrote on was something that came out in the 1960s from the Federal Reserve explaining, you know, the role of gold and why they wanted to abandon gold and enhance the power of, uh, of, of the dollar. I mean, now? Well, maybe this is the now, really? Yeah, because it's it's a trend that's been in place for a hundred years. I mean, if it was convenient um, or easy, they the easy thing to do would be to just stay as was constantly man, uh, constitutionally mandated in the United States that gold and silver shall be the money of the United States, not this paper currency that's floating around. Well, th that's not going to happen. Well, it will when the money bubble pops, if they go the right way. If they go the wrong way, who knows what's going to happen. But, you know, hopefully when the money bubble yeah, pops, but, I mean, it'll go back I, you to... You know, people aren't going to... If the money bubble, bubble pops, people are going to... You know, it's going to be such a... I mean, there's too much... Look outside, there's too much vested interest in keeping, you know, uh, a, a, a working system of money going. You know, the, you know, saying... You know, otherwise, you know, otherwise we'll, we'll be using papyrus instead of you know, to write emails and, you know. Yeah, you know, you're raising a good point because what's happening here is it's not just a country that's going to have a problem, it's the globe that's going to have a problem. In other words, you can go to a country like Zimbabwe and see what happened when the currency collapses there. Yeah, or you can go was, to Argentina I mean, you, back yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, but you're talking and about, corru I mean, horrendously corrupt. And you're also talking about countries that, that had all sorts of other pressures on them at the time as well. But I mean, you can go to any country where the currency's collapsed and see what life is like. Go to Venezuela today and see what life is like when the currency's collapsing. Go to Argentina and see what life is like with you know the rising inflation rates. You know, these things happen. And it's going to happen wherever fiat currency applies, sooner or later, because ultimately the currency gets destroyed. But here's the, here's the key point from the book. You give a printing press to a government, you have a monster in the making. That's a quote from the book. But it's not just, yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree with that. But the, I mean, but you have to remember, I, think, is it, I don't know what the exact number is in the U.S., but over 90% of money is in the U.K. is not created by the government and the printing press. It's created by the issuance of debt by private banks. Yes. It's approximately the same in the U.S., but so, regardless of whether it's issued by private banks or the, you know, the Federal Reserve, uh, it, you know, governments and banks work hand in glove. Absolutely, but so, to but perpetuate so they're, the issuing, they're issuing, issuing credit, and people are using that credit either to, in most cases, to just invest in, a, in property, but it's often to invest in business or invest in other. Uh, 
speculate in stocks, speculate in other malinvestment, build factories where you don't yeah. need them. I mean, Sometimes, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you're being devil's advocate here because you explain very well in your book, Life After the State, you know, all of the problems of bad money and bad currency yeah. and how it leads to bad investments and things of that nature. And I'm happy to debate this with you. Yeah, uh, I'm, you're but being I'm not, what, I don't, what, I'm, my, what I'm saying is, is I'm not saying it's right you know, I couldn't, I hate, I am being devil's advocate and, and, you know, I intensely dislike what goes on and what, what it leads to, but that doesn't mean it can't, it has to stop. It, it does have to stop because it all comes down to mathematics at the end of the day. You, you cannot create wealth out of thin air. Um, and no, by creating can, all can, of this credit out of thin air, this credit ultimately has to be served, and you have to serve that with a reasonable market-oriented interest rates. Otherwise, you're destroying capital. When you start destroying capital, that leads to a flight from the currency. The demand for the currency declines, and ultimately you have what Van Mises called the crack-up boom, and that's basically where I think we're headed with the, not only the dollar but all fiat currencies. What will happen is, is that those countries that have gold and the foresight to go back to a sound monetary system can protect themselves and their citizens by going in the right direction. But if you follow the U.S. lead, or at least what's been the U.S. lead so far, if the U.S. itself doesn't understand you know, that it's headed toward the cliff, then you're going to have a much bigger problem worldwide. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just don't see it. I mean, I'm looking out the window and you see all this business going on and all these people walking to work and it's lunchtime and they're all going to get their lunch from Sainsbury's or whatever. And you know what? Sandwich shop. I just don't, it, it, it's if, not going to change. It's it, too much vested interest. If, in you'd gone going. To, if you'd gone to you know, um, Argentina when it had its currency no, collapse no, or no, Zimbabwe when it had its currency people will still be on the streets yeah. because people want to take care of what their needs and wants are, yeah. and they're going to take care of their needs and wants on a daily basis. You know, that's how we humans progress. We're constantly out there. It's easier to do that when you have sound money, but you're going to, even if you have a bad money that you have to work with, you're going to be out there you know, taking care of your needs and wants, working and doing whatever is necessary for you and your family to not only survive, but hopefully prosper. Yeah. All right. Well, James, you know, I, I love talking to you, and thanks very much, and thanks very much for all the good work you've done over the years. I feel sorry. Everyone always has a go at Argentina. They're all absolutely gorgeous, and I'm sure they're much <laughs> happier than we are. But, uh, um, and they eat better steak than we do. The... Um, uh, the, the book is The Money Bubble. It, um, the Kindle version is already available, and the physical version, I understand, becomes available any day now. Any day now, yeah. Any that's day correct. now. And you've self published it rather than go through a publisher because of there are less hurdles to get through and you get the book out quicker. Get the book out quicker, exactly. You know, yeah. with uh, editing, you, you have a long process with a publisher. Also, you could write as you want to write without, you know, the, the corporate sensibilities, you know, yeah. saying, you know, well, we have to cut this out or cut that out. You yeah. know, nothing's been cut out that John and I think should be included. Okay, well, that's very good. I've got, uh, yeah, two, two uh, um, things for you. Um, the 100-year cycle in money. Yeah. Just an interesting side thing. 1716, this is just something I've observed, and the whole problem I have with cycles is they're really arbitrary and they kind of get uh, attached. After the event, people go, oh, look, look, there's a cycle there. But to actually live by and trade by cycles is verging on the impossible. But nevertheless, 1716, um, we had the first great recoinage in the UK, which was the senior, or was, was to become the senior empire, the senior currency at the time. Uh, and then with the Napoleonic Wars and various other shenanigans that went on, we had quite serious inflation in the UK at the beginning of the 19th century. 
and there, it all led to a second great recoinage in 1816. 1816. Correct. Then, of course, 19th century saw debt pay down, prosperity, and everything else. Then we got the Federal Reserve in 1913 and the First World War in 1914, which saw Germany, France, and England uh, leave the gold standard and, and ushering the new era of, era of fiat currency. And so, another hundred year thing. So, maybe. 2014, 2015, maybe we'll get our next great recoinage. Well, that's what my expectation is, and hopefully they'll go the right way, just like Britain had gone the right way in the past, uh, and understand that you know gold and silver are sound money, and you need sound money in order to have the best possible economic activity. Um, I can't remember what the other thing I was going to say was, so we'll, we'll leave it there. James Turk, uh, do you want to give out a website or some uh, a website for the book or anything like that? Yeah, uh, you can find details for the book on uh, dollarcollapse.com. Uh, which is a website that John Rubino uh, operates. Also, we have um, some information I've written about the money bubble on um, my company's website, goldmoney.com, or you can just Google the money bubble. You'll, you'll find a lot of information out there already. Very good. James Turk, thank you very much. Thank you, Dominic. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes.